I woke up this morning. I'm going to say this again uh, later, but um, you might not want to come hear me. I woke up this morning realizing that today is our parents' wedding anniversary. But you don't know why that hit me. I knew it, of course, but it didn't. I mean, I, I usually, most years, I do remember that. 1945, just before the surrender of Germany. Um, well, not for so before. Quite optimistic, I'm thinking. After both of them having had quite a tough war. So, just the little curlicue from history. Um, clarification, is this your first time that you're going to debate in the U.S., in no. Michigan at all? In Michigan, yes. Okay. Uh, so you've debated before? Yes, often on C-SPAN, several times on C-SPAN. Um, quite recently in London, or not in London, all the shot, right? Well, yeah, the, the but that was, a, that was a television program okay. with other people present and not the same. We haven't done it one versus the other in front of an audience for nine years. And, and never on religion. Is, so that, is that the main topic? I think so. Okay. I well, think it's going to come up. If it isn't the main, if it isn't the main topic, if God isn't the main topic, what is? Well, you would. When I return the question, you would say not. <laughs> no, it's the main religion. Is the religion is the religion is the foundational question. It's the, it's the the underlay of all other questions. It's the it's the it's the it's the debate. Now. So this, you don't view this as something that's going to be repetitive because you've done it before. This is no, and actually, the feeling that I've had very strongly in the last few months, while I've known this is going to happen, is that probably if once we've done this, we won't do it again because I think that will be enough. Well, I was saying, I was asked this question earlier by someone from a newspaper here and said almost the same, which is, if this became a dog and pony show or regular routine, it would, it would soon become inauthentic, despite our own <clears throat> innate seriousness, sincerity, and so forth. It would, it would become showbiz. So we're not going to have a dog and pony show. I wouldn't say I'd never do it again, but I think it should be safe, legal, and rare. So people coming tonight can expect authenticity, if nothing else. Well, that's a hitch guarantee. And seal. Okay. You guys are brothers. How did you, where did you part? You guys have different views on things. At what point, is there a point you can go look back and pinpoint this is where we started to differ, or is it just a different thought process? We're different people. Why would, why would we ever have agreed? I mean, it would be... Not, you don't start, we didn't start from one egg. Uh, and we, we would always disagree. There, there may have been coincidences from time to time, but it, 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 just because you're somebody's brother doesn't mean you're the same person. In fact, uh, in some ways, especially if you're younger, you're going to define yourself as not being the other person's brother. I once compared myself to Canada uh, and its relationship with the United States, to which he replied he didn't realize I was relaxed about it as that. But, um, <laughs> I am. But the other thing is that I think people don't notice is how many things we agree upon, about, about, upon. In particular, um, I think we both tend to dislike the same sorts of people and the same sorts of mentality and say the recent past. This is a, this is a guess, but I bet I'm right. The use of the word misspeak for lie. 
or controversial for raging demagogue and, and a thug um, would strike us both as a, an abuse of the political process, trampling on the English language, uh, easy free passes for people who shouldn't be getting them. Uh, I would say that without actually checking what Peter has written. But I would feel I knew that in the way that some people are said to know how the, if their twin is having a migraine. Something I've never particularly cared about. But you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I sort of test his temperature in that way. Do you guys have any expectations for tonight? No, you're wrong to compose the music of the future. No, I, I think that it, it would be dangerous to try and script it in your mind ahead too much. I would much prefer it to be. Uh, I'm trying not to say spontaneous. Precisely. Um, another very dread word. Uh, to see spontaneous mean, uh, demonstration means rehearsed. Uh, to mean, yeah, to mean, to mean, yeah, plants, to mean, to mean anything uh, over, over prepared or. Uh, affected the expectation of fratricide I think on the part of anyone who has it will be disappointed it isn't really I mean it's not at all unusual as Peter was saying that brothers would not would be of the same mind opinion. if we didn't live so much of our lives in print or on the on the air people wouldn't know there must be many many people who have brothers they don't that, that often see or that much agree with um, the Rodham brothers on the other hand seem to be absolutely like two peas in a pod. So much so that their sister never gets asked about them. Brothers to whom she can't say no. Hideous Rodham, Rodham boys. Just free associating. That's fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it better be. Seems to me there's more pressure on you in this press conference. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was kind of Would you like us to you know, just answer some things you haven't asked? Or you, you can... No, free association is fine. That's we'll pull up a chair yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my name is Jeremy Bean and uh, I Bean it's Irish yes it is yes. Um, is it spelled like that um, well it's Anglicanized over here so it would be the whole band Brendan band yes mm-hmm. Dominic yeah. so, uh, that's, and that's Brian yes so, right I do a podcast called Reasonable Doubts. It's a skeptical podcast. It's uh, aimed at uh, counter-apologetics, and, uh, but we try to bring in a lot of dialogue, too. Um, one of the things we've been focusing on a lot, and I wanted to ask your impression, because both being uh, um, from uh, Great Britain, uh, the, there's been news about Muslim um, no-go areas, these ghettos, supposedly, where um, um, people are becoming more and more isolated culturally and, and whatnot. Um, and all the issues that relate to free speech, and I was wondering if I could get um, your comments in regards to what's going on in Europe over um, free speech laws and uh, hate speech laws that are trying to curtail criticisms of religious faith and expression. Oh, yeah, but you want to go He's, He lives in Europe. Yes, there's a lot of um, 
it, for instance, recently in England, uh, laws were introduced for, I think, religiously aggravated crimes. Uh, and um, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase. The idea being that a, a crime committed would be worse because it was motivated through faith hate. Uh, which is a fundamental departure from the principle of English law, which is that the, the action is, is, is what is being punished. Right. Uh, in fact, the, the only time this has come up was a couple of weeks ago over an attack on an Episcopalian rector in East London, which is believed to have been done by Muslim youths. And they called him... Uh, a, a rude word uh, attached to the word priest. I know of another incident which took place in, in northern England a few years ago where a, um, a girl guide leader was attacked on her way into a church uh, by, um, again, by apparently Muslim youths throwing quite large stones at her and shouting Christian bitch. These things do happen. No-go areas is, a, I think, something of an exaggeration. There are, particularly in, in parts of Northern England and in London, s solitudes. So you have people living side by side who have nothing whatever to do with each other. In Bradford in particular, large numbers of people who, whose families originate from Pakistan and, and who are Muslim live in the same city as its, its the people who've, whose families have lived there for centuries. And they don't really, they, they'll speak to each other on a bus or, or, or in a shop or in a place of business, but they would never go into each other's homes or have any other kind of, of, of commerce. That has definitely happened, and there are, there are Muslim areas in which large, elaborate mosques have, sp have sprung up, usually on high ground, to demonstrate a, a position of, uh, of, of supremacy and where the churches are more or less empty. And in terms of what you can say about it, there is obviously a great limit because of the partly because of the, the fact that Muslims, though not entirely, but, but large, most Muslims in Britain are Asians, and therefore the issue of racial bigotry comes in at the same time, and people feel very restrained about what they can say for fear of being accused of racial bigotry when what they're actually addressing is something different. In the rest of continental Europe, particularly in the, in the Netherlands uh, and in Belgium, uh, but also in parts of France, particularly Strasbourg, uh, northern Italy and large parts of Germany where there's a very big Turkish population, there is a, a large and growing Muslim population which is making a greater and greater impact on the way in which people live and penetrating the sky with more and more minarets and it's in my view if people are worried about the Islamization of western civilization, this seems to me to be a much more serious part of it than the frankly pumped up and over, uh, overplayed uh, wild panic talk about terrorism which we get all the time from our governments. Oh yeah, my concern is over um, the right to criticize religion uh, and uh, um, not to, not to, uh, uh, well, uh, for example, um, we have, we have this, uh, a resurrection of the whole Danish cartoon debate uh, and protest that's going on after, uh, what was it, uh, uh, intelligence indicated that these cartoons um, 
that uh, there was a death, there was an assassination plot on the, one of these cartoons, and so they republished them. These debates are brewing up, and I often see hostility towards um, the people who are making writing the cartoons and publishing in solidarity. Well, I can help you out there. Um, Fleming Rose, the editor of the the Jutland Post, is a who commissioned and published those cartoons and gave his reasons why he thought it was time to do it. He's a friend of mine and he's one of the many friends I now have. Uh, not all of them European, some of them. Um, who have to live under police protection now. Uh, and, and not because of any imagined terrorist threat, I might add, but, or any uh, hyped or fabricated one, because of a very, very direct one, threat of violence to their own persons and the, and the magazines and other outlets of information and opinion that um, that they work for and with. Uh, and I was the one who organized the demonstration in front of the Danish embassy in Washington, thinking it was about time the Danes saw at least a friendly crowd outside one of their embassies, just one day, made up of, of people who were not mainly motivated by hatred and violence. Uh, that's presumably why I have to tell you about the demonstration, because it didn't get any coverage, because it didn't threaten violence or practice hatred. Um, the the uh, entire American media with the exception of the Weekly Standard and a magazine I write for myself occasionally, um, well actually regularly, um, Free Inquiry, uh, refused to publish as a news item the pictures that were in contention. In other words, people were told there's a fight about smooches. In the age of the image, the completely image-dominated period of media existence, the images themselves were not deemed to be fit for showing. Now, come on, everybody knows what's going on here. And self-censorship is probably the very least of it. Anyway, or it would be if there wasn't actual censorship, or in other words, if the copies of our little magazine had not been pulled from the shelves of Borders Books. Borders Books says, you reprint those cartoons, we are not going to let you sell them after. So I will never do another reading in Borders Books. Small thing, Department of Empty Threats, just I won't. Okay? And they, they know why. Um, but the, but to tell you this is in a sense to tell you some news because I, I can't tell you the people who gave in because of threats because telling you that would be telling you things that could be of use to those who are bringing the threats of physical force. So it's a very, it's a very neatly wrapped up capitulation of a whole culture crying before its heart when there actually is no threat that we could not with ordinary pugnacity just resist and say we won't be spoken to in this tone of voice. Surrenders prearranged and done in advance, without anyone being consulted. No reader, no voter has been even asked what, what they think about it, whether they would, whether they would themselves accept a microscopic risk to defend the First Amendment and the values that underpin it. This, I think, is a really, a really gruesome state of affairs. How does, um, because people would argue that. These images, uh, because they are intolerant and because they are bigoted, uh, uh, that's why that's we should publish. They don't argue that at all. Never heard that argument. The, uh, the, it, was very, it was made very plain to me. I know, I live in Washington, it's my hometown, Washington, D.C., nation's country. I know a lot of the people who are responsible for making these editorial decisions in newspapers, magazines, and television stations. And I know why they made this. It was out of fear. Simple. They didn't say, we don't want to say something intolerant about Islam. This is, we can't stand the heat that we think might result. So they're anticipating 
it's known in playground terms as crying before you've been hurt. So in your view, this isn't misguided? It is nothing, no, no, it is, it, it is, it is bodyguarded by a soggy multiculturalism. Sense that the only kind of of, uh, of, of um, any any variety, any diversity, is uh, to be defended, except the one that insists upon diversity. In other words, it redefines diversity as uniformity. If I say the First Amendment and its rights include the right to be offensive to uh, religious fanatics, ah, you're just the one group you're, isn't quite covered by our wonderful gorgeous mosaic of diversity and tolerance. I see. I understand. I get it completely. Why then? That's fine. Just don't call it diversity anymore. Call it uniformity and live with it. I think I have the right to insist on that. The fear is not completely baseless, though. Because. Damn straight, it's not baseless. I know people who really do have to live under. Yeah, well, I'm, but, but most of us remember Theo van Gogh, who was um, murdered in an Amsterdam street. Actually, ritually, ritually murdered, disemboweled, subjected to a, yeah. a ritualized religious killing as of a sheep or an animal. Um, and his his uh, collaborator, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who's a very close friend of mine, um, now has to live under complete protection. So does Fleming Rose, the editor of the Jutland Post. So, until for a very long time, did my friend Salman Rushdie uh, for the crime of writing a novel. Um, no, there's no question that this is a serious threat. But then where is the intolerance coming from? When those who say that the intolerance comes from those of us who resist and satirize this uh, are preparing in full view, not a murder, but a suicide. But you, you should also mention, I think... Well, not just a murder and a concession to murder, but a suicide. Suicide of free expression. What is not yet, as far as I can see, a factor here, but which is certainly in several major European countries, which is that Islam is now electorally important and so a lot of governments are trying to make accommodations with it British government certainly is the British government actually came up with the most extraordinary formula a few months ago in which it would refer to terrorism conducted by people who happen to be Muslims as anti-Islamic terrorism you'll have to work out how they came to that <laughs> formulation but that, that shows the kind of contortions into which they have got in trying to in, 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 in trying to uh, cope with the fact that there is now a very large and growing electoral basis for political Islam in several Western European countries, but, and it grows all the time. But because I already mentioned the word satirical, I will just tell you: if I, if I live in England and, and I cooperate with a lot of people who do live and work there, um, if any such legislation that uh, equates um, uh, attacks on religion or religiosity with hate crime or with racism is ever enacted or it will be tempted enforced. I will certainly demand from the Department of Public Prosecutions that the next person who refers to a man who blows up a Shia mosque with its congregation in Iraq, um, the person who describes that person as an insurgent, be arrested for Islamophobia. I think that's the very least we can do. For those who deliberately, the only people we know of in the world who deliberately set out to kill Muslim civilians every day and in the most gross way in the, and the most, if you like, it's not a word that's easily in my mouth, but in the most profane and blasphemous manner, at their devotions, on their pilgrimages, in their houses of worship, tearing uh, and, and bloodying their, their holy books and their holy places, are the, the Islamist uh, terrorists, the Islamofascists. Anyone who describes those people with euphemistic words should indeed be indicted and arraigned 
if this law is to mean anything, for inciting and encouraging and celebrating the hatred and murder of um, religionists. How are they going to like to suck on that, I wonder? Because I'm deadly serious about it. If that's going to be the law, while I campaign for its repeal, and until it's repealed, I'm going to campaign for this application of it. See how they like a touch of that. So, so um, other than fear in the Islamic uh, case, when we look at this as a broader phenomena, um, what do you think accounts for the double standard in which how we treat criticism of somebody's religious views as opposed to criticism of somebody's philosophical, political um, views outside of the realm where we consider them sacred or um, I'm just looking for a way to draw this into the I still think I, I still think it's the fear of being accused of, religion, of, of racial bigotry, okay. which is the ultimate uh, the ultimate um, thought crime. If you commit that, then you're you're obviously flung out of the comity of civilized people. So that's the end, and people are very scared of that. And given the simple truth that large numbers of Muslims in Western countries do come from Asia, it's a very easy accusation to have made against you, and it's one people one, one people do fear. It's a very easy one to um, defuse, though. That I think. Incidentally, I don't think racism is a thought crime. The, the preaching of racial hatred is is, is a offence if it's not a crime. Well, hang on. Should, it, should, it, should, it, should, it, should it be a criminal offence? No, no. But I mean, sure. no, is, and I is, you, no, I didn't say it, is an, it should be a criminal offence. I mean, I always, is, I always thought offense, that, the, yeah. that the race relations laws in, in, it's not what people in, are thinking. in Britain in the 60s were actually justified because they ended uh, the, 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 the posting of, of notices in, in, in boarding houses saying uh, no blacks and a number of other uh, rather disgraceful things. So I'm, I'm, I'm ambiguous about that, but it, it is... In, in terms of in, in, in terms of how we order our society, is something you cannot do, and it's something you can't think. The fact that you know, the, the, whether that doesn't to, to call something a thought crime doesn't necessarily dignify it as something which you ought to think. No, indeed, but it's an utterance question. And when I say it's an offence, I mean it's an offence. It's offence to me, not an offence to the law. But it's um, it can have criminal implications. But I, generally, I think everything should be both thinkable and sayable. And that, that principle matters more to me than, than the feelings of anyone who might be hurt by any violation of it. But um, it should be noticed that in, again, speaking about the country I know best in Europe, my country of birth, um, the warnings of what was coming by way of uh, Islamist intolerance, by the way of the importing into Great Britain of uh, communities from the extremely backward and feudal and underdeveloped parts of North Africa and Pakistan. Uh, people who were arranged marriages to cousins down the generations, and the terrible consequences such as deformed births of the our second nature. People like Nadim Aslam, for example, who's written this wonderful book about the Yorkshire Muslim community called Maps for Lost Lovers, or Hanif Qureshi, who wrote My Son the, um, my son the Extremist, no, My Son the Terrorist, My Son the Fanatic, My Son the Fanatic, Hanif Qureshi. Um, Monica Ali, author of Brick Lane, Salman Rushdie, most famously. All of these people were, were telling liberal Westerners, we come from these Muslim populations. We know what they're like. Don't you let them, don't you let them get away with this. And don't you let them guilt trip you into saying the criticism of this is racism. Don't let that happen to you. This is, these, all these people are friends of mine, I'm very proud to count them as such. 
very important, and all of them, of course, are free from any uh, religiosity of their own, Islamic or any other kind. I regard the emancipation of people from religion as the main emancipation of the human mind, human society can can hope to experience, which is my own view. So there. Um, anyway, in this country, yeah. it's nothing to do with them. I, I think there are. The reason why I say Lawrence Wright wasn't criticized, Lawrence Wright, Jeremiah Wright wasn't criticized till recently. Al Sharpton can be called in the New York Times, he's always called the civil rights activist. How did he get that to be called that? What has he ever done to get himself called that? Al Sharpton, has he ever done anything for civil rights anyone knows about? Active, yes. Active in pinching himself every morning, and he'll think, I'm going to get, get away with it again by t this time tonight. Four people will have had me on TV and sent me a limo and called me Rev. Can't believe his love. He all he proves is in this country anyone who put the word reverend in front of their name can get away with that. But that's not just a problem of people being reluctant to criticize racism. It is unfortunately a criticism of a great man who was murdered uh, 40 years ago, Sweet. because the, de the decision by almost every white person in America to conclude that what what the colored folks like is a bit of shout and holler from the pulpit. They like a good preacher when they're talking about political and social and other kinds of freedom. It has been a hugely retrogressive thing. It's meant that the great black socialists and secularists like um, Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin, the people who actually organized the march on Washington, and did the spade work to get it done and the groundwork and got the United Automobile Workers to co-sponsor a great contribution from Michigan incidentally are written out of the record completely. It's all preacher now. Preacher men. So anyone who can call themselves that, who can pose as a religious figure, whether it's Farrakhan or Sharpton or Jackson, these frauds and crooks and big mouths and bigots themselves, for the most part, gets a free pass from white society. So it is partly true, what Peter says, that it's because of race, race guilt tripping, but it's also because of a, a totally exaggerated deference to men of the cloth that's also allowed frauds and crooks like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and John Hagee and now the wonderfully named uh, Ron Parsley. Is it Ron or Roger Parsley? Rod, Rod Parsley, a Woodhousian, uh, uh, new McCain um, evangelical demagogue in the Midwest, to flourish. Whereas people, if they, people trying similar sorts of bigotry and demagogy without the, the prefixed reverend wouldn't have a prayer. Quite rightly. Or I mean to say, a chance. <laughs> Wouldn't be given the opportunity. Would be right, you know, lying to children for a living is a pretty contemptible way, I think, to go through life. And these guys do it all the time, and they, and they get called reverend into the bargain. Woof. And if, only, if they were only lying to the children, when they rape and torture the children, they're, they're only accused of abusing them. What would anyone be called who did that who wasn't in early orders? Be called a rapist or a torturer. Now it's an abuser. Or an organization. This is a free pass, free pass given to the clerisy. All this should end. The United States should be much prouder of its secular constitution than it is. I'm willing to stick up for it. Peter, it looks as if a thought is just on the edge of It's staying with it. Broad <laughs> pass. Oh. Can I ask you all to replicate that wonderful discussion a little bit about whether England, whether Britain had to fight World War II the way it did when it came into the war and that sort of thing? That was fascinating. 
I don't think Americans know this thesis. Well, just to give you, do you want to give him the backstory? Well, only that, uh, that uh, there are two books, you know, one just published, uh, one about to be published, uh, Human Smoke by yes. Nicholson Beck. And uh, uh, Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War, which Pat Buchanan will be publishing in, in May. And it just, it was by coincidence, we found that he was reading one and I'm reading the other, and they both have the same theme to some extent, which is that uh, ultimately it, it, it is because of the, the failure of the Iraq war, which was sold as a good war and an idealistic war, using the Second World War in many ways as the the template for it. Um, because the Iraq war is, is, has, has ended, if it has ended as it, as it has, people then go back and re-examine the template and they find that it wasn't quite as it appeared to be. And it isn't. I think that the, 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 more you, the more you examine the Second World War, which most of us ingested as myth, uh, the more and the more you discover what actually happened, the, the, the more disturbing it is. Though I think it could be said that um, I, Mr. Baker's been a pacifist for a very long time. His last um, uh, appearance before, well, I won't say the cameras, but in, in the media was a, a fictionalized fantasy about the assassination of President Bush as a woman, if you remember. Now, Pat Buchanan has long been a member of the Charles Lindbergh School of politics, along with Gore Vidal, and actually quite a surprisingly large number of people in, uh, whose backgrounds in America were with the America First movement. And uh, what that means, in a sense, being officially dubious, no, not officially, um, dubious of the official explanation, justification of the war, that it was a response to fascist aggression, and therefore both just and necessary, and if you like, inescapable. Um, but there have been revisionist books about this in Britain for some time. John Charnley wrote a book, who was amazingly professor of history at Fulton, Missouri, uh, where, her, where the Iron Curtain speech was going, um, an Englishman. Um, long account, basically saying that the war could have been averted, or at least postponed, in some of its more grave and fell effects, softened, if it wasn't for the uh, great gusto and enthusiasm for war displayed by Mr. Churchill, whose political career depended upon belligerence, as as it had always done. Um, I think these things have to be sayable and thinkable. The idea that we were discussing earlier that Hitler needed war, he needed a nihilistic response. Yes. Sorry, yes, there is another. I, I, um, if I, if no, no. Uh, well, uh, Baker's given his book the extreme, I mean, actually, Buchanan's uh, choice of words is very um, cool, but it amounts to a very provocative title for a book. But Nicholson title, Human Smoke, is, I haven't got to the stage yet where I know what he means by it. There is obviously an, an allusion in the book that I'm, I'm going to come to that will say why he's given this, this title, but... Obviously, you can tell what people are going to think. They're going to think about the final solution, which is what most people regard as the justification, if only ex post facto, for the war. And um, the difficulty with that touching belief is that it's quite probable that without the cover of war, there wouldn't have been a final solution. Without the, without the night and fog and chaos of war, 
that it would, would, have been, would not have been possible to embark upon the mass deportations to the east and the, and the massacres by whichever means they were conducted that undoubtedly occurred there. So that being the case, and our, with our knowledge, um, some of it was available at the time that Hitler probably didn't have very many years to live. He's mentally and physically in a very advanced state of decomposition by 1940. That any time spent running out his clock and wasting his time and keeping him in bulk or in, um, what is the word, well, in neutral, if you like, would have been time well spent. And there were forces in Germany who would, in the end, have seen sense about that. It's not, it's not a position one can easily or lightly dismiss. But it takes the axe to the root of the great post-war myth of our Anglo-American civilization, which was that jointly we did something grand, noble, necessary, heroic. And as it's referred to in popular culture here, the good war. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Studs Terkel even, I mean, that's really unironically called... Um, though Studs Terkel, I'm sure, at the time would have been for the Hitler Stalin fight. That I'm pretty sure I remember him being there. I think the, I think the Baker position is less... Uh, interesting than the Buchanan one because pacifism leads you to I, I gather there is a statement in the book in which he describes the French capitulation in 1940 as a civilized yes he does and given what followed from that capitulation directly and predictably uh, I don't think that's actually a possible description once the war had begun then I think it had to be fought and certainly wasn't civilized to capitulate to people who everybody knew and had known since very early in 1933 were barbarians. This wasn't the Kaiser. This was something else. No, it is indeed. I've just got, that's where I was at lunchtime today. I was reading this mm. passage of praise for Philippe Pétain. He, so far, Mr. Baker, has left out Hitler's Stalin Pact. He's included Guernica and Kristallnacht, but he's not included a lot of other big Roman stuff, but he's I suppose he's going to have to deal with Vichy now, what France made of itself. And the question is really for him whether pacifism does involve a certain kind of degradation, a sense of loss of pride. Nor do I think he included some advice which I believe Gandhi at one stage gave to the Jews of Germany, which was to commit mass suicide in protest of the way they were being treated. Well, now Jonathan Shell tells me that that's not true. Um, I'd, li I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the... But there are some remarks that he makes that are quoted question. by Nicholson. There's some, there's some Gandhian piffle babble that is quoted by Nicholson that comes quite close to saying that. Comes close to advocating immolation as a means of appealing to the German conscience. Or, I better, better say, the Nazi conscience. To make it seem, make it clear how absurd I think it is. But Jonathan Schell is a very honest guy, and I think he's the, by far the most expert and scrupulous um, punctilious pacifist known to me, who's writing a book about Gandhianism in that world, tells me that that's, that story is, is uh, legend. I, I do think some of what Baker quotes Gandhi as saying in his own newspaper, signed articles, comes perilously close to that. It wouldn't be a huge misrepresentation, actually, of what's already said. But the numbers, you see, he says it might be that several hundreds of people have to immolate themselves to bring about the necessary shame on the part of the persecutions. He doesn't say the Jews of Germany should all kill themselves and save the Nazis the trouble. It's a narrow but deep distinction. Perhaps I could put it like that. Anyway, I, I mean, this argument's going to have to be had, and this generation would have had to have it without 
I think, without Iraq. Because the concept of the just war has to be fought over again in every yes. epoch, in my opinion. Thank you for those very thoughtful answers. Any other well, questions? And here? not to say voluminous. Exhausted. Exhausting, aren't you're not a big fan of uh, Hillary Clinton. No. But, uh, is there a, a candidate you support? In, uh, no, I, no, I'm really, really, really not. And, and I took as, as much happy as disgusted and enraged by the, the terrible uh, narcissism over Bosnia and what it conceals, which is her, her own role in making that such a big disaster and such a big nightmare in the first place. Okay. I hope that that has completely ruled her out as even thinkable president of the United States. But if it weren't for that, I'd, I would have to say, just not sound of gallantry, the way she has stood up to the sort of pasting she's got lately on the and the sheer willingness to get up every morning and do it again, as if nothing would discourage her. Is energy worthy of a better cause? I'd like to think she would have done that to save Bosnia rather than just to use Bosnia and its mass death as a means of advancing her own career. But sometimes you think it's possible to think of her caring about something other than herself. I say that very reluctantly. Well, using that illusion familiar to you, she is an iron lady in her own right. No, no, no. She's no. no. Iron ladies, iron ladies, do not say the boys are ganging up on me. You can't imagine Thatcher. Oh, she was just doing that to be opportunist. No, no, she's died twice now. And also, Thatcher did weep publicly at the memorial meeting, memorial service for those who fell in the recovery of the Falkland Islands. But I don't think she ever welled up in any other way. Oh, she did when she was uh, expelled from government. Ah, perhaps she did that. Yes, she did. Well, I saw well, you would. I saw. I was there in Paris. Tia was photographed. Maybe brushing away a fractional one. No, no, it was, it was when she was actually no, in, no, in, in the car on the way out of Downing Street. The, the tear was, was brilliantly photographed. It was there. Right. Unwiped. That was, that was the night it was all over. That was it, yeah. The night when she was first voted out, when she was in... Yeah, she didn't believe that. I she was there on the steps. She, she said I'll fight off that she'd make it. With the British, in the football of saint Honoré. And I also met, in my time, I met Bernadette Beauty several times. I've met Mrs. Indira Gandhi. I did not meet Mrs. Goldemir or Mrs. Pandranaka, but the women who really had to put up with male-dominated societies, a, a real male persecution, are not self-pitying and whimpering in this awful way. I think that, no, that, if I was a female or a feminist, either, that, I think, would get me down a lot. You either are as tough as, or you are not. Or as humorous and ironic and determined as. Well, no, oh, see, you want? Maybe the difference are. Can't have that both ways. Deep down, she is tough, and this is all handling. This is show your warm side. I think it's calculated. I think she is tough inside. Well, she is when it comes to her her own um, interests. Yeah, she is. She's relentless. Yes. Well, I saw her shed a chair for herself in New Hampshire, as did everybody else. What I'd like to know, what I said in my piece. Would, is it conceivable that if it was pointed out to her, as it has been, that her telling Clinton, her husband, that her disbarred, perjured, impeached, professional liar husband, to stay out of Bosnia in the first place probably cost 200,000 lives? Would that thought make her shelter? I'm willing to bet you everything I earned that it would not. She could not, it couldn't, it's not conceivable to imagine her shedding a tear for another person. That is what I'm looking for. And I think I've found it. What it means is she, she's, she's a psycho.
<laughs> you like him. Peter, you have thoughts on that? No, no, I think we had an agreement in 1776 or around about then that we stayed out of this. <laughs> no outsider's perspective. But it's we have enough problems of our own. Now, right? I, I, gather, I gather she's joined a very extremely conservative religious group now to validate her faith claims, which are the latest in kind. And now I noticed that Senator McCain has stopped being an, an Episcopalian and become Baptist. And I see that. Senator Obama has joined some rock and roll shout and holler horror horror show show lead has been for a long time. So it looks to me as if religion is poisoning the campaign in a big way. So um, every candidate seems determined to defame and trample upon the one thing that makes the United States the great country it claims to be. You don't have to do any of this, and the government can never tell you you can. It's a real shame. And I hope they're changing ships on a falling tide as well, because all the evidence is that the number of Americans who are not impressed by supernatural claims is, is the fastest growing group in the country. Julio, books that have been selling. Sam Harris, you... Yeah, yeah with the Pew, the, you read the Pew study. The largest... The, it's 15% of Americans now say they don't identify with any denomination at all. 40% of it changed their denomination at least once. The ex-Catholics are, or the laps, as the church insists on calling them. Because you can't leave, as you know, a totalitarian church. You're not allowed to leave. They, you can be excommunicated, you can't leave. Um, something people don't understand very well. Is, a, is, is the largest group in the country. But the fastest growing group are those who don't identify. And they are regularly insulted by candidates who act as if they don't exist. Well, they do. We do. And that's to say nothing of the huge numbers of people who do say, yes, I'm a Lutheran or a Catholic, and who aren't, really. And who are riddled with doubts. And, um, the two speeches that are getting so much comment, this campaign, McCain's speech on his Mormonism down at the Bush Library and the Obama speech in Philadelphia, where he's trying to transcend the racial issue. Well, that's to say nothing of what got uh, former great Michigander out of the race, yes. I mean, but, I mean, that's was disgraceful. I mean, he, if you remember, when, when the Carolina primary was in major contention, he didn't even go, I think, to the state. He stayed entirely in Nevada, where his campaign was run entirely by a Mormon sectarian machine, in order to get eke out a narrow victory there, entirely based on a confessional turnout and, and donation, making himself the Mormon candidate yeah. for a crackpot racketeering sect. You know, the no one can lo no one can look at the Book of Mormon or the history of Joseph Smith without realizing that they're seeing a plain fraud being involved in the, in the clear light of day to roars of laughter from its originators. You don't want to be able to. <laughs> I mean, your it's, it's enough to make enough to make a cat laugh. Whispering. Have you read Ford, have you read Ford Brody's book on Joseph Smith? No. Well, God damn. You know, the local <laughs> newspaper, the local newspapers of upstate New York draw a perfectly good picture of many times convicted, very, very charismatic fraud. So Peter, are you saving all your pissing Nothing more. I, I don't want to. Look, nothing more. How many of you are here? I mean, look, let's say it. We're supposed to do this and make It's been a fantastic no. campaign from the secular point of view. Is it what, what the crying lack of, of missing quality. Is that becoming increasingly more? What we want is less 
faith-based pretense, less faith-based hypocrisy. Why do they insult us by thinking what we want to hear as professions of... We don't. We want competence and integrity. We don't want professions of, professions of supernatural allegiance. Can I ask you what you think... That, that by the way, is true. I should just say one word. That's true of people, I presume, who are honestly and sincerely religious. They don't... They do not want to hear their own faith exploited. Yeah. Or, or cheapened in this Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. Let's keep this last... So let's hope it's a big miscalculation, this uh, religious conversation. Yeah. I think it probably is. So we got to scoot here pretty soon. The last question. Um, um, I just wanted to ask what you think the... What role does the media play in that? In, th in this aspect of it. Lazy, I think they tend to make the assumption that a person who's made a claim of faith has ticked a, a box that the electorate expects them to check. And I think that the, it's not an examined assumption. It could stand a lot more examination. And as I've told you, I think when... I'm very ashamed of the way the profession behaved over the Danish cartoon. It's happened again this week. Sam Harris was asked to do a piece on, on the revival of the Danish cartoon question by the Washington Post, and that they're not going to print it, and they've more or less told him why. Because it, if he uses this idea of religious violence in the same sentence as the word is not. And they're not willing to run that risk. And they can't, they can't have expected he would avoid the question. And they can't very well ask him to forbid himself to speculate on it. So um, it's a combination of cowardice and consensus. Actually, Cowardice and Consensus would be the name of any book I wrote about any aspect of the Well, hopefully the high grosses you guys are getting with, with your books will change the media a little bit. No, but they won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> they won't. Well, thank you very yes, much. Thank you for answering. Well, please, for another. Well, great.